amen. Open your Bibles with me to John chapter 1, and while we're doing that, I just kind of want to bring us together with, with where we are. We've, we've been talking for a year plus about uh, taking a journey together, and uh, journey is a very common word you hear in the church today, church world today, and it's a, but it's a significant world, word because it, it implies that there's a beginning and that there's an end and that there's a process to get from the beginning unto the end. And what we began to look at is that Jesus called His disciples on a journey with Him. He was, in essence, a walk with me. And then at the end of His three and a half years with them, He turned that journey over to them, but He promised to continue to walk with them, but in a different way, not physically, but through the Spirit of God. And so we believe that, that, that as we look at this, what we're going to see is that God's, what's in the, in, the, in the Gospels especially about this journey that Jesus, on which Jesus took His disciples is the same journey He's called us to. And I believe it's very much like, uh, um, well, I was uh, listening to uh, uh, Robert Morris you know, last Sunday, actually, after church. I went home, we were listening to him. And he's telling a story about a time when a friend of his that became a graduated from seminary was going to be a pastor, but decided to go to Israel and to work with a shepherd for a year as, a, as an experience. And he said the amazing thing he noticed is when he was over there is he said the shepherds will often do things with other shepherds and combine their flocks for safety and to travel places. But he said what he found them doing is they were going to go on a journey and these shepherds gathered them all together and then there was a point where they were going to go in different directions and each shepherd began to make a unique sound with his voice. It may have been a clucking sound, it may have been some distinct sound. And he said the amazing thing is when one shepherd would make a noise, certain sheep's head would rise up. And as that shepherd would begin to move, those sheep would follow that shepherd because they recognized his voice. And he said, I watched it as each shepherd did this, each of these sheep, they were all mixed together and they began to separate and they began to follow the voice of that shepherd. And he said, the amazing thing is when those shepherds had separated, there was no sheep left wandering around wondering, where do I go? And as I listened to that, I couldn't help thinking of John 10 where Jesus says, my sheep, my sheep, not the sheep, not a sheep, my sheep here my voice. And I believe with all my heart that our shepherd is calling us. And this is why we're going to look at this and study this together. So we began to study last week how Jesus called His disciples, what He called them to, and also how He called them. And we saw that Jesus is also calling us on a journey, and that's so that we will fulfill His purpose for this church and how He will fulfill. Therefore, to do that, He has to fulfill His purpose for your life. In fact, last week I read uh, what I believe was a prophetic word that God gave over this church, uh, and it's, it's in the notes for last week if you want to download. They're still up there. And so today we're going to continue uh, looking at that, and we're going to look at exactly, begin to look at exactly what Jesus called them to do. And this is so important because we have, many of us have been around for a while, have our own ideas and have our own teachings and own things we like to follow, and we, we miss the simplicity of this. And so it's very important why I'm going to take some time and go through this, because this is so simple, we miss it all the time. What we're going to learn, and I've already told you what it is, we all know it, but we're not doing it. Why? Because we don't really know it. We haven't really heard the Master's call personally to us. So we're going to go over some of the same things over and over again. And if you think, well, I got that, that's a sure sign you don't have it yet. Because when you get it, you want to hear it more because it, you don't have all of Jesus. You don't have all of Jesus yet. I mean, He's in you, but you don't know all of Him yet. The Bible talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. So if you think you know Him as best you can, you haven't touched the surface because there's always much more of Him to know. And the statement came to me a few weeks ago and I've said it several times. Just a question to ask yourself. Don't raise your hand. But can you, do you, if you look at your own life, can you say, I know Jesus personally better this year than I did a year before? If not, we need to grow together. Because he wants to reveal himself to you and then through this church. So that's, what we're, that's the journey that we're on together. 
And so we're going to begin today to look exactly what he called them to do and how he called them. So in John chapter 1, we're going to look at today at three, there are four stories in the, in, the, in the Gospels about Jesus calling his disciples. And we're going to look at three of them. I mentioned one of them last week, and it's not in my notes. I may mention it again. And, and, um, but to, to go to the one John's, the, the one that's in John chapter 1 is a little different than the other three, and I'll mention that and talk about that in a few minutes. But to do this, I want to give you a little bit of background here to understand, because we talk about following a shepherd, following, uh, following someone, Back in the, in the, the days that we're looking in the New Testament, um, it was very common for them to be Jewish rabbis. Uh, there were many re- Jewish rabbis that had risen up, and a rabbi is just a Hebrew word for teacher. He was a teacher. But they didn't just teach in a school. They would have, they would have men, because the women didn't, follow, didn't go to the teachings, that ju- would follow their teaching. And they would begin to develop an interest in this particular rabbi's focus, because many of them had a focus or an interpretation of the scriptures. And, and that's a lot of what the Jewish rabbis did and still do today. I used to attend one when I was a lawyer in Boston. Uh, a number of my partners were, were Jews, and several of them were devout Jews and belonged to a very small synagogue. And they invited me to one of these Torah sessions once. And you just bring your lunch in, and you listen to the rabbi expound on his understanding of the Scriptures. And of course, it was out of the Torah, out of the first five books of the Bible. And it was interesting, and I don't want to get off on this, but it was interesting to sit there as a Christian with the Spirit of God in me and listen to him teach from the Torah things that we know. And he was asking questions because that's part of the, the, the rabbinical way of teaching is to ask questions and then to debate and discuss what the meaning of these things are. And so uh, it was interesting because I, so I could see so clearly how these scriptures that the rabbi was, was trying to understand and my, brothers, my, my partners were trying to understand and how they clearly pointed to Christ. And it was obvious. I wouldn't say, can't you see who that is? But then I was reminded of 2 Corinthians 4.4 where it talks about the scale, the veil that's over their eyes until they're removed in Christ. They can't see clearly. So it's all done out of the mind. But the point is that in the time of Jesus is walking on this earth in his public ministry, there were many rabbis out there and they had followers who were adherents to their particular view of the scriptures. And, and in many cases, they would follow them around and listen to their teaching and they were very devoted to them. So with that background, we're going to pick up and we're going to look at, at, at John the Baptist because he had followers like this. And they were called disciples. Because we hear the term disciple, and we didn't immediately think of the twelve that Jesus called. But disciple just means a teacher, a, a, a student, one that's following the teaching of another and is dedicated to that teaching. It comes from a Latin word that, that, is, that, that, that basically means a disciplined one, but one who follows the discipline of another. And so, so I wanted that background because you're going to see references to disciples. Oh, are those the ones that follow Jesus? No, we'll see the ones that follow Jesus. So John chapter 1, I'm not there yet. John chapter 1, we're going to pick up at verse 35. This is John the Baptist. He's been baptizing by the River Jordan. And again the next day, John, John the Baptist stood with two of his disciples, two of his disciples, his adherents, those that followed him, and looking at Jesus as he walked by, we talked about this a few weeks ago, John says, behold the Lamb of God, clearly referring to the Passover Lamb, clearly referring to Messiah. The two disciples heard him speak, heard John speak, and they followed Jesus. Notice Jesus didn't invite them. They're curious about this one that John the Baptist, their, their rabbi, has just said, this is the Lamb of God. Verse 838, Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said, What do you seek? That's an important question. And they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher. So all they see him right now as is a teacher, just like John was a teacher, just like others were a teacher. And they asked, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying. Now there's nothing spiritual happening here. They're just coming out of curiosity. And to remain with him that day, it was about the tenth hour, which means in in Jewish terms it was about four o'clock. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him, 
was Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother. That's going to become important to us in a few minutes. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. So now Andrew, Peter's brother, is now recognizing this man may well be the Messiah, and somewhere in here he goes to tell his brother, Andrew, who may, uh, Peter, who may well have been among this larger group. Verse 42, And he brought him to Jesus. Boy, would that preach. And when Jesus looked at him, that's at Peter, he said to you, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which translates a stone, and in Greek means, uh, in English means Peter. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. And he said to him, follow me. Now, out of all of these, this is the first one that Jesus says, you follow me. Andrew's trying to follow Peter, but Peter, trying to follow Jesus, but Jesus hasn't asked him to follow him yet. We're going to see next week how important this is, because there's some people that try to follow Jesus out of their own initiative, and it doesn't work. We'll, we'll deal with that later on. Okay. And now he says to, then to Philip, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city which Andrew and Peter were from. And Philip goes and finds Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses says in the law and the prophets wrote, It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael says to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip says to him, Just come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit or guile. And Nathanael says to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree and I saw you. That's an operation of one of the gifts of the Spirit. I saw you. Now, Nathanael is beginning to realize there's something unusual about this man because there's a supernatural aspect to him because he's seeing him before he was physically in front of him. And Nathaniel answered, verse 49, and said, and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now this, become, this is important, because let's go now to Matthew chapter 4. We read this last week. This was an account of how Jesus calls them. But what we're going to see is G- they obviously had had some experience with Him. This is not their first encounter with Him. Matthew chapter 4 Verse 18. And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee. So this first scene in John's not in Galilee because we read where he said, I'm going to go up to Galilee. Walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And we talked about this last week. And now he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the whole series that we're in right now, the title of the series is Follow Me. And that's what we are called to do. That's all we're called to do, but out of that calling comes many different things that we're responsible to do. This is why it's important to look at this. Follow Me. And they immediately left their nets and followed Him. Verse 21, And going on from there, they saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left their boats and their father, and they followed him. So this is, again, Peter and Andrew and John, who may have already had contact with him, we saw in John chapter 1. And notice when Jesus calls them, it's the exact same invitation that he gave to Philip. Follow me. Now let's go to one other account, and that's over in Luke chapter 5. While you're turning there, I want to remind you that we looked at this last week in, in Mark, uh, and that's also in Matthew too. There's another disciple that's called, and that's Matthew, although he's Levi at the time, and he is a tax collector. He's not a fisherman, he's not an apostle, he's a, he's a tax collector. He works for the Roman government, but he's a Jew, and he's an IRS agent. But, but his, his, why he was so hated is, first of all, he was hated by the Jews because he was working for the Roman government that was oppressing him. So he represented the Roman government to them. And he represented the Roman government getting in their pockets, taking their money. 
But even worse than that, their income was whatever they could collect from, from the Jewish brothers in addition to what Rome required. So they were authorized to use their authority to collect whatever they could get out of the Jews and whatever was above and beyond what the Rome required, they could keep as their commission. And so as a result, the Jews hated them not just for serving the Roman government, but for taking money out of their pockets and using their Roman authority to do that. And Jesus goes to one of them, Levi, and he just goes up to him and says, You, follow me. And it says, Levi got up and left the money, he left everything, and followed Jesus. So we're looking at why. Why would that happen? Why would somebody do that? Well, we're going to get a little more insight in here into Luke chapter 5. Verse 1. So it was that as the multitude pressed about him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, that's up in Galilee, and he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, this is the same Simon we just read about, and he asked him to put it out a little bit from the land, and he sat down in the, in the he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now, why is he doing this? This is not important for the, for the message. But I believe there's two reasons. It separates him from the people so that he can actually get the teaching. He now has a chance to sit down. But also, more importantly, they didn't have microphones and PA systems. And he's got a huge multitude following him. So what Jesus would do is go out on the water, because if living around here, if you get on the water very easily or near the water, the water amplifies sound. It travels over it very quickly. In fact, a number of years ago, we had a boat. My son and I had a boat together, and we had to be careful because you could hear other people talking about you on the boat. <laughs> so that's an old-looking boat or whatever it was. And I realized people can hear us if we're talking about them. So Jesus is doing this to amplify. So he's using Peter's boat in order to help him preach a message. All right. Verse 4. And when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. Now it's the daytime. Simon answered and said to him, Master. Now, in John, when he met him, he called him Rabbi, teacher. Now his revelation of who this man is growing a little more and is acknowledging him to have some kind of authority and he's calling him Master. So the revelation of who this Jesus of Nazareth is, is growing in Peter. And now Peter's got a choice, because we're going to see, because I'm not a fisherman, but from what I understand, fishermen like to fish at night, because that's when, see, if you're going to be a fisherman, you want to fish where the fish are and when the fish are there. Because if you just want to throw your line out there and have fun, you can do that any time of the day. But if you're serious about catching fish... Years ago, I used to go down to the beach near us and on uh, Monday mornings, my day off, and I'd just go down there to pray. I'd sit in my car with a cup of coffee, and I'd go out and walk the beach and just pray. And I noticed in September this, this amazing thing. I'd be there one, one Monday morning, and there's nobody there. The next Monday morning, it's packed with people with fishing rods. And I mean, what in the world happened? I go to talk to one of them, actually went to church here, and he said, oh no, the stripers are running, or whatever it was, are, are running. They follow them around. They go to where the fish are because they want to catch the fish, and that would preach, but I'm not going there right now, all right? So the point here is Peter and his fishing company have already been out there. They fished all night because that's when the fish would be there. These are professional fishermen. They make their living knowing where the fish are and when the fish are there. And here is a carpenter. Look what he's going to tell them to do. Telling them to go out there and throw in their nets to catch fish. So here is a professional man using his professional training and reasoning to answer back to the God that created the fish and the water that they're in and the air they're breathing and the ground they're stepping on this is the God who created all these things, and Peter, with his reasoning and with his experiencing, is answering him. But watch where this goes. Simon answered, verse 5, and says, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Stop there. Peter is saying, 
Not only am I a professional fisherman, and I know there's no fish out there because they don't come out this time of day, but I know it by experience. We were just there. There are no fish there. This is important. Because when God calls you, He'll tell you some things to do. And they'll often look impossible. They may not make sense. But who are you going to trust? Peter expresses all these concerns. We caught nothing. But look at this. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. Despite what I know by my experience, despite what I know by my, by, by my physical senses, despite what I know by my professional training, nevertheless, at your word, I will go let my net down. I will put aside my training, I will put aside my pride because I'm a fisherman and I know what fish are and you're just a carpenter. I'll put that aside, I'll put aside what my own eyes have seen, there are no fish there. I'll put us aside at your word. I will choose to obey your word over what I know, over what my senses, over my profession, my background, over everything in my life. I will set that aside to obey your word. Watch what happens when he does that. Verse 6, And when they had done this, so they acted on the word, they caught a great number of fish and their net were breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. It's amazing when you obey the Lord what He can do for you. They worked all night in their own strength, in their own wisdom, in their own reasoning. They worked all night and caught nothing. Many of us have worked so hard to make something of ourselves and accomplished nothing. Simply by obeying His Word, He filled their boats to the point of sinking. Bring all the ties into the storehouse and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you cannot contain. That's not in my notes. So when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. O Lord. In John's account, when they first encountered Jesus, he was a rabbi. When Peter's heard... Jesus speak, or seen him now, he calls him master. And now, by taking Jesus at his word, he has a greater revelation of who Jesus is, and he calls him Lord. Out of that greater revelation, Jesus, Peter sees himself as a sinful man, and now he sees Jesus as Lord. So it's not as simple as just Matthew's account. So how do these all, these look like they, they contradict each other. No, they don't. John's account is a preliminary meeting where they had some knowledge. They've seen this man. They saw him, whether, we know, whether he was there when he called Nathaniel or not, we don't know. But they saw him with a crowd. We saw, heard John the Baptist say, this is the, center, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. They heard all this preliminary and now Jesus comes to them to call them. And Jesus leads Peter through this miracle. And as a result of... What I want you to see, it's Peter's obedience to his word that opens the door to a greater revelation of who Jesus is. I'm going to make this statement down the road, and and you don't need to understand it now, but I'm going to make the statement down the road. It does not originate with me. Is that faith comes from obedience, and obedience comes from faith. You cannot separate the two. Peter's faith in who he is came as a result of obedience to his word. Simply go do what doesn't make sense to you to do. Just do it because I said to do it. And out of his obedience to what Jesus said, Peter saw him as Lord and saw himself for who he was. All right. That's going to come back to help us down the road. 
So I believe Luke's account is just a fuller account of what we see in Matthew and also in, in, in Matthew's account. But remember, Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. And his training was details. And that's why his account often in the gospel is much more detailed than the accounts of Matthew or Mark. Or Luke and John, or John's. John's was a very different purpose. So what about this difference? Again, most likely the account is earlier and shows some of, uh, some of, of what they had seen him. Okay, now what I want to begin to do is talk about this call. We're going to break it down into, into several words. We're going to talk this morning about the word follow. Just the word follow. Because what I want you to get, what God's dealing with me, what's critical, what's critical in order for us to follow Him is that we understand this point of how very simple this is. It's so simple we miss it. It's so simple we step over it. It's so simple we read through it. It's so simple we ignore it. It's so simple because we understand what follow means. But do we? Because we talked last week about when you really hit you, like when, when, G, when Jesus called Peter, I mean Paul. We talked about that last week on the road to Damascus. When he called Paul, when Paul saw who he was, heard who he was, Paul's first words were, what must I do? And when we hear the word follow, when we hear these things and we sit and listen to them and say, boy, that's good, or, then we've not yet really heard it because when we really hear it, our response is this, now what do, I, what do I do? Not what do I have to do because following is not something you have to do. Following is something you're privileged and graced to do because it's by invitation only. We'll talk about that down the road. The good news is you're all invited. Okay, all right. So we're going to talk about the simplicity of the call, the simplicity of it. And each of these accounts that we've read or talked about have this in common. He's called them to follow me, him. So let's talk about the simplicity of the call. Because what we like to do is, we like to complicate things. For several reasons. First of all, that's too good to be, it can't be that simple. It can't be that simple. It's got to be more involved than that. Because the the more involved in it is what I've got to contribute. Yeah. I've got to do something here. I can't just follow. I, but that's pride. We want to understand where we're going. But you see, when we, compl- oh, when we complicate it, that becomes an excuse to not do it. Because I've got to understand exactly what you're saying to me before I can follow. I'm talking to me this morning. You can listen in. We like to... Con- and boy, with my mind, I can complicate things just like that. Just ask my wife. I mean, I can take the simplest task and I can make it so complicated. It takes 14 years to even figure out how to start it. And while we're figuring it all out, I don't have to do it. So either you're feeling sorry for me or I'm not the only one. So Jesus makes it so simple, anybody could understand it. And the more educated you are, the harder it is to understand it, because I can't just follow him. We complicate things. And when we complicate it, we put barriers in people's ways of following. Just follow me, is all he said. But we need a program to do this. We need special lights and we need special equipment and we need all this. We need a cafe. We, these are all good things, but we don't need these things to follow Him. And they can become a distraction. And some of them already have here, but they won't continue to be. We want to add to it. We want to complicate it. Our minds like to make things complicated so we can air ideas and... We get, and, 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 not, and even if it's not our own motive, we're just, we're dumb sheep. I didn't say that, Jesus said it. Dumb doesn't mean you're not smart, dumb means they don't talk. But they're dumb. The sheep will follow whatever's in front of them to eat. Molly's like that. That's our little puppy. 
Molly's a little, she's about that big now, tall, and she goes around with her nose, we take her to walk, she says, always this, always this, her nose is following whatever she smells, and, it remind, and she looks now, because her fur's grown back out again, she looks like a little sheep. And her just, you know, and sheep just follow wherever the food is. That's why they need a shepherd. And need to know the shepherd's voice. And, and, and so, because of that, they get distracted easily. They wander off and get distracted easily. Jesus talks about going to get the one sheep out of the hundred that wandered off and left the 99. See, that sheep wandered off. So he went to get it. Isn't that good news? Because he's a shepherd and the shepherd loved their sheep and lay their life down for the sheep. We get distracted by issues that we or others think are important. So many issues out there today. And it's not just out there that are wrong. There are just so many things, even though there may be good things, that distract us from what we're called to do, which is simply follow Him. As we introduced this subject last week, I said the moment you begin to focus on this, all kinds of questions begin to pop in your mind. Where are we going? What's it going to mean? What's it going to cost? What do I have to do? Blah, 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 blah. And Jesus never answered those, except down the road. First of all, he wanted to teach them to follow. He began to give them answers, but not then. He wanted to teach them to follow him. He wanted to teach them to simply follow him because that's the only thing he called them to do. Second Corinthians 11. I love this verse. I don't have time to get into the background of 2 Corinthians because you really do need to understand this if you're going to deal with some of the issues in there. But just this verse. I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds have been corrupted or brought, pulled away from the simplicity that is in Christ. The simplicity that is in Christ. When we get worn out, when we get discouraged, when we get anything like that that's negative, in most cases it's because we become distracted from what we're called to do. When we become afraid, it's because we become distracted from what we've called to do. I told you last week, I see no evidence in the Gospels or even in, in the letters of Paul in any of the New Testament that the disciples were ever afraid of what he was going to have them do. Now once he's gone, once he had been crucified and before he came back, they were huddled together out of fear, but when they were with him, following him, they were not afraid. And after he's been raised from the dead and sent the Holy Spirit, they weren't afraid again. But we look on this side of the call, what, 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 may, he, what, what may he require of me? What may he have me do? And this fear can begin to rise up in you. But when you answer it, when you're obedient, then the fear goes away. Because you're walking with him and that's the most safe and secure place to be. The most insecure place to be is what the world calls secure. Ephesians 4, 13 and 14, this is similar. This is part of Paul's instructions to the church as to what the purpose of the ministry gifts are, including the pastor and a teacher. It's to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And then we pick up in verse 13. Until we all come to unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect, a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we're no longer children tossed about to and fro or carried about or distracted by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And then he goes on to tell us how to avoid that. So, okay, what do we do? So there's a simplicity to this. And we'll go back over this and back over this because it's so important to realize how simple this is. How simple this is. All right. So what is it we're called to do? We're going to only look at the first part today. Jesus says, follow. Follow. Now turn with me to Numbers chapter 9. Those of you that downloaded the notes last night, you're going to see it says Deuteronomy 9. I don't know what I was thinking, but uh, it was, it's Numbers chapter 9. When I've te- taught 
how to be led by the Spirit, this is usually the heart of it. Because this is what God is. God is teaching Israel how to follow Him here. Now a little bit of background here. Um, this is the, the God has established uh, through Moses the tabernacle in the wilderness. And um, uh, it's, it's all through the book. It's the book of Exodus is all about this. The purpose of a tabernacle, they're out in the wilderness. They've come out of 430 years of, of bondage in a pagan nation, Egypt. There was no synagogue there. There was no time to worship there. There was no teaching. There was no leadership there. And now they're brought out and they're under, they're under Moses' leadership and God wants to introduce himself to them. And so God instruct, calls Moses up on a mountain. God gives mountain, uh, Moses a vision of, of a series of tents, basically, that become their, basically their church. And I don't have time to go through the details. There's a book I wrote about that's out somewhere on those tables out there called uh, A Tabernacle in the Wilderness or Why Build an Old, Why Build, Study an Old Tent. And it goes through this. And, it, and Moses, and, but what the whole essence of this was a series of sacrifices, and in the middle of this was, a, was a, an enclosed tent, and there were two rooms in it. There was the holy place, and there was a holy of holies. And the holy place, the, the, the priests would come in, and they would eat a certain bread, and they would, they would go through a ritual, and then they would leave. But on the other side, there was a veil. There was a heavy curtain. On the other side of that was the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the movie, The Ark of the Covenant? That's where it was. And the presence of God dwelt there as long as they were following God. But that presence just didn't dwell there. He dwelled through the roof of it with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. God, this was God's presence in the middle of His people. Now, the, God's not just a cloud. God's not just a pillar of fire. God reveals Himself physically in different forms at different times. And here He was revealing Himself as a, as a cloud by day, which directed them. It also provided some kind of protection from the heat of the sun. And at night, there was a pillar of fire. But what I want you to understand is in this fire and in this cloud, which is God's presence, in the middle of them, He would move. And we're going to read. This is the instructions that God gives the people of Israel through Moses, listen here, of how to follow Him. And there's half of a chapter in here but he, listen to how God goes over and over and over again because it's so simple, they're going to miss it. We're going to pick up here in verse 15. Now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud, this is God's presence, covered the tabernacle and the tent of the testimony from evening until morning and it was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So, that it, so it was always and the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Listen to this. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle and after the children of Israel would journey in the place where the cloud settled, the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey. At the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained camped. So God wasn't speaking to them saying, let's go, time to move. The cloud just moved. And when the cloud would take up and move, they would pack up the tents and they would move. When the cloud would stop, they would unpack and they would stay. Verse 19. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept charge of the Lord and did not journey. So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle, a few days according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped. And according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. So it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning. When the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would journey. Whether by day or night, whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Whether it was two days, a month, a year, that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain in camp and would not journey. It was When it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. At the command of the Lord, they journeyed. And they kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. This is so simple. What's it saying? It's like talking to children. When the cloud moves, you move. When the cloud stops, you stop. If the cloud stays still, you stay still. If the cloud keeps moving, you keep moving. If the cloud stays still for one night, you stay still for one night. If the cloud stays still for a week, a month, a year, you stay still for a week, a month, a year. In other words, don't ask how long. When's it going to move? How long do we have to sit here? Don't ask, where are we going? Just follow the cloud. Now, following the cloud 
was a positive thing. They had to keep their eyes on the cloud. But it's also a negative thing because when you're following the cloud, you can't be looking somewhere else. It's interesting. It's interesting because that we're somewhere in here. Where did I put it this morning? Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. All right. Now, what does this do? This is a great example. You won't do that unless you trust the one that you're following. They had to stay aware of the cloud. They had to keep their eyes on the cloud. And the cloud was in the middle of the, of the, of the, of the camp. And it was hard to miss because it's just going right up through the cloud, through the tabernacle. But if you got busy doing something else and the cloud starts moving, you could miss it. So you had to be aware of the cloud. They didn't stay there all day and just stare at it. So God doesn't call us to stay in church on our knees worshiping Him all day. He wants us to be out in the community about, about His business, about His affairs, but we always have to be sensitive to Him in us and His presence and His direction that we're in our work. We're going to work tomorrow to follow Him. That work may take you to, should take you to work tomorrow. It should take you, but you're following Him in your work. Your, your, your secular life and your church life should never be separate. Second thing is it develops, an, it develops a close, intimate relationship with the one you're following. You can't keep your eyes on somebody and decide to figure out where they're going without have, developing a relationship. We're so easily distracted. Our fallen nature wants to know where we're going. When are we going to get there? We still trust in our own understanding. You notice when God's leading you, He doesn't tell you much. Doesn't, didn't tell the disciples anything at first. Didn't tell you where we're going to go. He just wants you to develop a loyalty to Him and a trust in Him to follow Him. Come, follow me. Danny, come on, let's do our thing. I'm, I'm, te- I'm calling Denny. And I'm calling Denny, follow me. Okay. <laughs> you can go home to the home now. <laughs> I choose Danny because he's a good follower. That's it. Somebody look. He simply went where I went. When I stopped, he stopped. When I took a sidestep, he took. So- I hope he did. I wasn't watching. <laughs> But to do that, he has to keep his eyes on me. He can't be distracted by, what are you thinking? Where is he going to take me? He might take me off the edge and I might get hurt. He trusted me to follow me and not figure out where we were going. It's that simple. It's that simple. It answers all the questions that naturally come up. Well, where? What is it going to mean? What's it going to cost? What am I going to have to do? Just follow there's a great story at the end of uh, the Gospel of John. I had my physical on Friday, and my doctor uh, mentioned this verse to me, but he didn't know the end of it because they just hand the verses out in his church. They don't he just anyway. Go to it's where Jesus and Peter are walking down the beach. Peter has been restored. Jesus raised from the dead. They've had their fish breakfast together. They're walking down. And Peter's, now Jesus is telling Peter at the end what the, fina- what the end of his journey is going to be. He didn't tell him at the beginning. He's telling him at the end. He says, when you're old, which told Peter he was going to get old, when you're old, they're going to take you somewhere you don't want to go. And they're going to stretch out your hands, signifying that he's end of his earthly walk, he will be crucified. So Jesus is now telling him 
the end. But he's telling them right before he's leaving. And Peter's aware over his shoulder there's someone following him. It's John. And so Peter, he's still doing it because he's still human. He says, okay, but, but what about him? And I love Jesus' answer. What's it to you? In our parlance, it's none of your business. He said, what if, what if he stays until I come back? The Bible says that's not what Jesus was saying. He was using that as an example. Basically saying, it's where I'm leading you and where I'm, where I'm leading him is none of your business. You, he ends with the same command, you follow me. So the beginning of our walk, it's you follow me through all three and a half years, and then all of this stuff, through all the things they went through, now at the end, Jesus turns, the last thing He says is, you, follow me. Don't worry about John. Don't worry about the rest. You, just keep your eyes on me and follow me. And here I come back to this, the whole message today. So important. My prayer, I was on my knees this morning, praying for you that you would catch this, is the simplicity of just following Him just following him and not ask the questions what is it he'll get you there he'll get you there I was sharing with somebody the other day in my early life in my, as a Christian I tried to figure out where we were going to go in ministry where we were going to go blah, blah, blah. I never in my wildest imagination dreamed I'd be standing in this pulpit being a pastor here it wasn't a result of my planning. It wasn't my five-year plan, my ten-year plan. I had a one-day plan. And God got me where He wanted me to be because as best I've known how, I've tried to just follow Him, not knowing where that might take me. Not knowing where that might take me. Okay. John 14. We've got to close this out. Move quickly here. Well, it's a story I told you last week where Jesus is about to leave. He's about to go to the cross. He's with his, his final meeting with his disciples. And Jesus uh, tells them, you know, don't be anxious. Uh, uh, you, you believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. Some translations say a mansion. So we got this idea. We've got big mansions in heaven. It literally means a dwelling place. I'm going to go prepare a dwelling place for you and I'm going to come back where I will not leave you as orphans, I will not leave you alone. And he says, and, and you know, you know we're going, you know the way. And, and Philip says, how can we know the way? How can we know the way when we don't know where we're going, where you're talking about? In other words, how can we know the way to get there when we don't know the destination? We don't know where it is you say you're going to take us, even though you say we do. We don't know how to get there. We don't know, because we don't know what it is. How do we, how do we get there? And Jesus says, you know the way. But no, no, no. How do we know the way? We don't know where, where it is you want to get us. And Jesus said, no, no. I am the way. All you need to do is know me, and I will get you. In fact, he says something. He says, unless you come through me, you can't get into the kingdom of heaven. I am the way in. And it's not just the door. It's to follow me. Follow me. He did not tell them where they were going or what they were going to do or what it would cost. He told them some of them later on. We'll talk about that. Now here's what I want you to see. In this simplicity of just follow, there is a freedom. You have to figure it out. There's a freedom and there's a rest in just trusting Him and following Him. He knows the way. If the one you're following is trustworthy, you don't have to worry. It's the rest of a child on a long trip, family trip. Our children, as I showed you last week, it was a 14-hour drive from where we live to, to my wife's parents in Ohio. And, and, and I, didn't, I never heard them, you know, they weren't always saying, well, how are we going to get there? Are we going to get there? They didn't have a prayer meeting going on in the back to make sure Dad knew how to get there. And we didn't have GPS. We had those AAA triptychs, and my son, Chris, would sit in the back and read them for me. He'd go through them and make sure I was on track. All right? Some of we do that, try to do that with Jesus. We think, check our GPS, make sure he's leading us the right place. See, that's another thing. We had G- I don't want to go there. I don't have time to go there. Okay. 
If we knew, if you knew now where he wants to take you, you might not go. Or we'd go too soon. He knows how to get you ready for whatever it is. And you're in training right now, whether you realize it or not. Some of the things you're going through right now are training. I'm not saying he brought it into your life, but he's using it to teach you patience. He's losing, using you to teach you, keep you focused on him. Moses is a great example. In spite of what Cecil B. DeMille in the movie Ten Commandments said, Moses knew he was the deliverer. I'll tell you two reasons. He was raised by his mother in Pharaoh's court. But the most obvious thing is he was circumcised on the eighth day of his life and the Egyptians weren't. So several times a day he was reminded that he was a Jew. So he knew he was a Jew. He knew he was the deliverer. He had to figure out, look, God's put me in this place. Obviously, He's put me here to deliver them. And so when he goes among his brethren and sees his brethren being abused by one of the Egyptian guards, he kills the guard, bears him in the sand, and he tries to get the, the Jews to follow him now because he knows he's the deliverer, and they just look at him and say, who are you? Because they weren't ready yet. They hadn't cried out to be delivered and he wasn't ready yet, and he didn't know it. He had to go through the failure of having to leave that country. He had to go through 40 years in the wilderness taking care of somebody else's sheep, thinking he was nothing. He'd failed, he'd blown it, and God was using every moment of that time to train him and equip him, because what he didn't know is he was being trained to lead God's sheep in that same wilderness for 40 years. So God's timing is everything. And if you don't learn how to follow Him, you'll get ahead of Him or you'll get off track. It's just learn to follow Him. So why is this important for us? Learning what it means to follow will be important for our journey with Jesus for every one of these reasons. If we simply say, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to answer the call and follow you, we won't be anxious about these issues. What's it going to mean? Where's it going to go? Because all we got to do is follow him. He will take, he, he, and in the process, he will teach us to take our eyes off of ourselves and only see him. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, uh, having such a great cloud of witnesses that go before us, I think they have the scripture to put up there. Having such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us. It's talking about a journey. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. And how are we going to do this? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one that began it. Keep it up there. And he's the one that's finishing it. Now, this word looking is interesting in Greek because it's a Greek word that means to see away from something. So it's to not, in other words, to not look at anything else, to be focused, not be distracted and look, have your eyes turned away from anything else. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down the right hand of the throne of God. All of Satan's effort is to get you to look at yourself. What you're going through, what's this going to cost, how am I going to do it, where am I going to be there, oh, me, 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 where am I, what's this mean about me? And all Jesus says is, look at me. Just look at me. And it is so simple and so profound that it's going to take only the work of the Holy Spirit for us to hear that call. And the third thing is, we will accomplish what He's called us out to do. We'll end with Matthew seven twenty-one. Matthew 7.21, can you put that up there? Jesus says to them, to, to, this is a huge multitude, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. That does not say, go back a second, well, that does not say who does things for my Father. That's an important difference. Many people want to do things for God, but he says, no, who does the will of my Father who's in heaven? Now verse 22. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? In other words, did we not do many great things for God? Look at the next verse. Look what Jesus said. And I will declare for them, I never knew you. Wow, you didn't follow me. You did things for me. But you didn't follow 
We're going to talk about next week, me. This week it's follow. Next week it's me that you're following. Not, not me, but Jesus. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In 1 John, sin is defined as lawlessness. Lawless means I do what I want to do. I follow what I want to follow. I'll go along with Jesus, but I still want to do what I want to do. I'll come to church, but I still want to do what I want to do. I'll give, but I still want to do what I want to do. I'm still boss in here. I'm boss following him. So Jesus is my helper. Jesus is my comforter. Jesus is a lot of things to me, but, but I want Jesus to follow me and help me out because I want to be blessed. I want to live a blessed life. I want to be blessed. I want God's richest blessings in my life and God will bless you when you follow him. Depart from me, you who do your own thing. Practice lawlessness. Practice lawlessness. Now where do we go from here? As I've been sharing this with other people and other people in our church, and it's just so strong in me. I've never felt this before, the call that I'm feeling, that I'm hearing in me for this church to do this. But it's not something that we can do because we hear a great message or maybe a not-so-great message. It's not something we can do other than unless the Spirit of God begins to do this in your heart, what He's begun to do in my heart. Only by the Spirit can you hear this call. We can hear it out of our minds. We can hear it out of books. But you won't follow out of books. You won't follow out of eyes. You won't follow out of a good message. We'll only follow when we begin to hear. When we begin to hear and hear. And we'll talk, we'll talk in several weeks about how do you hear that calling. I'll help you with that. But you've got to recognize it's not going to come because you decide. We're going to look at that next. It's not going to come because you decide to follow him. But don't, he'll call you. He's calling you now. We're just not learning to hear because we're listening to the wrong things. You've got to hear the call. Notice they came to Jesus first and we're going to look at somebody down the road that came to Jesus and asked to follow him and Jesus basically said, you're not ready. You're not ready. You're not ready. So the Spirit of God has to do this. So if you've sat here this morning or last week and said, I don't know what he's talking about. This is, you know... Don't worry. Just keep coming. Don't quit. Don't give up. Just keep coming. Just keep coming. Just keep coming. Just keep coming. Just be open. Just come. Say, God, what is it you're trying to show me? God, what is it you're trying to show me? I want to hear. I want to respond. That's all I've done. That's all I've done, God. I just want whatever it is you want to do. I'm, th- I'm not trying to do for you. I just, whatever it is you want. I want to hear it. I want, help me to hear it. And he will do that. He is faithful. Philippians chapter 1, verse really resonated with me last year. For it is God who is at work in you. Not will be, not might be. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and then to do his good pleasure. God knows how to work with our will if we're willing to let him work and just not harden our hearts. Let's pray. Oh, I'll lead you in with a verse which we're not going to put up there. It's just... It's... um, I know it, but I want to quote it. Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord and he delights in his ways. Father, we come to you now with some sober and humble hearts. You've begun to speak to your church very seriously. Not because you're mad at us. Not because you're sitting there to judge us. But because you're calling us. You're calling us because there's a destiny you have for us as a church, a destiny you have for us as believers, but more so, you're calling us because there's a will, there's a kingdom that you want to bring into this earth and manifest in this earth. 
and it will only happen through us as we learn to follow you. Lord, we're coming right this morning from many different places. There undoubtedly are some out there that are already doing this. There are some out there that are just beginning this and some out there this morning that are really struggling. But you know where each one of us is and you came and you met Peter and Andrew and James and John and Philip and Nathaniel. You met Levi. You found them where they were and you helped them to hear the call. So Lord, help us to hear what it is you're saying to us personally and together as a church. So we'll go forth into this week with the confidence that he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we close the service, I want to ask this question. I'm, I'm been...